And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. That is hammered. Oh, my. Man, that ball got out of here in a hurry. You know, anything travels that far out of have a damn stewardess on it, don't you think? This is a simple game. You throw the ball, you hit the ball, you catch the ball. You got it! You're listening to The Roundtable with Grant Brisby, Andy McCullough, and Mark Carrig on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 43 of the Baseball Roundtable. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy McCullough and Mark Carrig. Wait a second. That's not Mark Carrig. That's Levi Weaver. How you doing, Levi? Uh, sorry, I was just texting with Aaron Judge and Sammy Sosa. Just trying to do my best Mark Carrig uh, impersonation. Hi. Hi, everybody. I don't actually have Aaron Judge's phone number. Why would you be in contact with Aaron Judge? He didn't play on the Mets in 2015. <laughs> Fair point. Uh, hello, Mark. Hope you're seeing all of this. <laughs> all right, Levi. Uh, we have you on to fill in for Mark uh, Carrig because uh, Mark is on vacation, I guess. He's got the little palm tree in his slack, so I think he's he's doing some... I mean, why would he not be on vacation? It's only the start of baseball season. He's a baseball Yeah, player. no, he picked, a, he picked a great time. I mean, he's incredible. Hopefully our bosses don't listen to this because it is incredible what kind of scam he's running on the New York Times company. <laughs> no, nobody listens to this. That's one of the... That is one of the uh, benefits of the show. <laughs> it's just free jazz here, baby. No one listens to this. Levi, anything you got to get off your chest... Uh, tax dodges you're working on. I mean, this is the place to do it. We got like three loyal listeners and uh, uh, they will die for us. So they're not going to give up the ghost. One time in 2008, while I was hopping a train, I killed a drifter, but it was in self-defense. Well, they say that's fair. That's fair. We've all been there. We've all been there. So Levi, it, we will get to the start of the baseball season, uh, which is fun stuff. But uh, one of the reasons we had you on, uh, other than you being delightful and a, a vagabond man about baseball town, is that you have a new endeavor. You are writing our newsletter, our baseball newsletter. So talk a little bit about that. Uh, it seems like it's different for you. Like it's it's a different, different. Your life is different. How is your life different? Oh, goodness. Need we get into all the ways? Um, so it's a Monday through Friday uh, newsletter. Ken Rosenthal and I are doing this together. It is a uh, neat and tidy little summation of all the best or biggest stories happening in baseball that day. Uh, hits the inbox around 11 or 12 Eastern time every weekday. And yeah, how my life looks different is I'm not uh, going to Globe Life Field to talk to, uh, you know, Corey Seager and get three word answers five days a week. So 
that's a big change. I just get to write about all the teams. I understand your career a little bit better than maybe some people uh, might, just because the the path of you're starting as like a local uh, about the team you grew up rooting for, and then you have this space to be weird, and you have this space to just expand, and you're writing just whatever you want to write about Rangers baseball, and then it gets a little bit more structured, and then there's this point where you're like, boy... I just kind of want to cover all the teams and not just drill down and micro uh, analyze this one team all the time. Like I've done that exact same path. So it's freeing. But then there's also that idea that there are 30 teams now in baseball, 30 teams, and they all have bullpens and like players, like they all have rosters, like full rosters. They're not cardboard cutouts on the back of some Universal Studios lot. And you have to know all of them. And that part is daunting but Wait, i have to uh, know all of them i guess is what i'm saying nobody well, nobody told me about you this you feel part. like you do i felt like i did my knowledge base used to have to be about you know one team wide and you know four or five affiliates deep and now it switches to like i probably don't need to know you know this single a guy you know that plays in the pirates organization but I probably ought to familiarize myself with the Brewers bullpen. So, I mean, it's taken a little bit of studying, a little getting used to. I've got my like workstation set up now. I've got, you know, an iPad and a couple laptops and a TV, and I'm trying to watch like five games at once. And, and of course, imposter syndrome is a lot of fun because I'm like, uh, how am I supposed to possibly write about the Rays? I don't know really anything about them. It's fun to do. Um, I mean, and then, you know, just personally for me, the, the other benefit is that I get to see my kids. Uh, once in a while now, which is, you know, when I was going to the ballpark every day and then traveling for half of the road games, it was absent a lot. It's not that I wanted to just like leave the Rangers, right? Like that was, as you mentioned, like the team that I grew up watching, I've got a knowledge of their history, at least as far back as like 1988, when I discovered that baseball existed. But yeah, I mean, just from a <laughs> the cry I'm breaking, Levi hates the Rangers. Thank you. Thank you. No, I think I might be the curse though, because the first year that I covered the team, uh, it was 2016, and they made the playoffs. And then every year since, they've been bad. And then I leave the beat, and they sweep the Phillies to start the season. So Rangers fans are going to hate me, even if I don't hate the Rangers. Fair enough. Andy, when you moved from covering Royals and Dodgers to more of a national beat, did you have that sense of panic, like, I have to know all this, or... Did you just say, screw it, I don't, I haven't cared about anything since, you know, 2008? Like, how did you handle it? Because it's fascinating to me. People don't understand. You have to really thread that needle, like they like to say, where you understand not just who's on uh, the Rays roster, but uh, like their arch nemesis from 2009, maybe. You have to understand who really hit the Rays hard in 2015 or else this guy's going to yell at you. Uh, was that hard for you, too? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's a, I think it's a challenge. I mean, just having the bandwidth to pay attention to an entire sport. I think, you know, as Levi said, right, like you, when you're a beat writer, you have an intimate knowledge of up and down this system and you're paying attention to, you know, four or five things every day, but they're all within like a certain like limited space. And you sort of understand like, okay, well, what happens in this game matters for the Dodgers. Why? Um, and there's a lot more in the current job of uh just like texting you know people in the industry you know maybe like people at the athletic who cover other teams and being like hey like is this player good <laughs> and but you also like have to like trust their opinion uh so you know sometimes <laughs> sometimes i'll be like yeah i mean i think it just it was it 
daunting. Uh, I don't know. We don't need to get into my employment history. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a transition for sure. And I wish you the best of British luck, Levi. All right, but we're not here to navel gaze about uh, uh, covering national baseball and uh, the stuff that goes into the the sausage or how the sausage is made or whatever that saying is. Let's talk a little baseball. There's actual baseball going on. Uh, give me some some takes. Do you have something that you've seen from this first part that's made you readjust how you are uh, your expectations for the season or something like that? Like, give me some takes. Give me some takes. Come on, takes. Have you guys noticed that the games are shorter? Ah, oh, shut the front door. What's going on? I was anti-pitch clock. If you had asked me two years ago, a year ago, I would have said I think the pitch clock is a bad idea. This was based on almost no direct evidence. It was based on no you know, overarching thoughts about what a clock would mean. It was based on no romanticism about the idea that baseball is a perfect game, that there's no clock and all that sort of stuff. It was based solely on the idea that almost everything that has been implemented by the commissioner's office in the last 10 years or so, or like since instant replay, has sort of made the game worse, <laughs> right? Like instant replays made the game worse. It opened the door to, uh, you know, the Astros scandal, you know, all of the sign ceiling scandals uh, flows out from the idea of the replay room in some ways. And so I was just sort of like institutionally opposed to if it's coming from the commissioner's office, it's probably going to have unintended consequences to make the sport worse in some way, uh, which is probably like a good general cynics view to hold uh, when you, you know, don't have the bandwidth to really think about things critically. However, the pitch clock is such an obvious, like the, from the first inning you see it in spring training, you're like, oh, this is incredible. Like, this is great. This is the best thing that's happened to the game in so long. It makes me in some ways angry that I spent nine years as a beat writer <laughs> without a pitch clock. And I want all those hours back. Like, I want that time back. Like, it just – I wrote about this a little bit the other day. Like, it makes the awful games tolerable. There were games that it's like 8 to 1 and it's over in 245. So it's like, well, that's a tolerable length of game, you know? It makes the uh, – like, the good games, they're like they – they have a pace to them, right? And there's like a zippiness and it's like, oh, wow, that was a fun – you know, so these like – uh, you know, there's some Guardians Mariners games that were, you know, real late and close and they're over in like two hours and 15 minutes. Then the great games are still great. Yeah. Last night, the, the Guardians and the A's went 10 innings. They scored a total of 23 runs. The game lasted 319. That would have taken four hours and 50 minutes last year. And this is when I, you know, I don't want to keep bringing up uh, my award-winning piece on pitch clocks, but like when I went into that and I... It was like I didn't know. I assumed it was all commercials. Like I really went into that. Just uh, let me pick two games that uh, have the same number of at bats, runs, whatever. I thought it was all commercials, and I just was gonna say, "Listen, the commercial breaks are bigger." But when I figured out, no, it's just people stepping out of the box, you know, adjusting a wristband, stuff like that. The pitch clock is good, and it, it, I like the pitch clock, and it really is just a bunch of. Uh, Jock adjusting, that is gone. Like, that is it. That is what's gone from the game. And I get that there is a rhythm and a flow that people are used to. And there is something romantic about the pace of the game. But it's really just a bunch of stepping out, spitting, adjusting your helmet. That's what's gone. And no one misses it. Even if they pretend to, no one misses it. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, Ken Rosenthal had an interesting 
column, uh, I guess it was yesterday, where, you know, Zach Wheeler brought up the idea that, like, you might be taking some of the drama out of the game, right? Which, like, I'm not, that's an argument that I'm not sympathetic to. He was pointing to uh, Bryce Harper's at bat against Robert Suarez, right? Which was, you know, like this incredible epic encounter. And, like, you know, if you put a clock on that, maybe it looks a little bit different. I don't care. Like, <laughs> I get it. Like I told like I totally understand. Like I get his point, but like that is the exception to the rule. And it is such a unique exception. It's the problem is that you have at bats at that pace in the eighth inning on April 15th. And you just can't have like it just makes it so like I, you're gonna see a lot of baseball writers writing about how the clock is great because they can go home now, right? Like that's where our, like our inherent bias is going to come through. You're if you find a baseball writer who complains about the clock, I guarantee they are not on the beat and they're not trying to hit deadline. I guarantee that. Like you're just not. You know, you might see you know some people sort of you know old man waving it or yelling at clouding at it. They're not on the beat. So like the coverage of this is going to be skewed just because it is such a victory for our industry. <laughs> okay. But I do believe, and like in talking to, you know, some friends, uh, you know, hearing from fans, um, you know, from, you know, as, as the, uh, the kids say, the casuals, right? Like it makes the product better. It, it really does. And yes, you're going to maybe lose something on the back end where the postseason will be, you know, not as those isolated moments that are riveting in, in, in you know, in that context. They might be a little more condensed. It's still going to be pretty good. Here's the one adjustment I would like to see made, because I agree with everything you just said. But we all saw the spring training game where there was like a walk-off pitch violation, right? Like that should never, ever happen. So the one adjustment that I would like. Why? Because that's the dumbest way to end the game. Like, I understand the cynical. It's also dumb to walk a guy to end a sure, game. Sure, but at least the player did that, right? At least that's something the. Right, but like the, he didn't He didn't hit the clock. Yeah, I, I disagree. Like, I think that's it's professional dumb. Sports. You, you never want to see a game end on a walk off like, oh, you didn't throw the ball fast enough. So here's what I would do. And I this is a, maybe a little bit of a compromise. But if that pitch could be the last pitch of the game. So there's two outs in the ninth inning or it's the bottom of the ninth inning in a tie game, you know, a walk-off would end it, whatever. If this pitch could be the last pitch of the game, clock off. And that would be the compromise that I would make. Like, uh, and that allows for those late and tense moments where it's, you know, you got the pitcher that's really sweating it or you got the batter that just needs a minute like Harper did. Cool. Because at that point, you're extending the time a little bit, but you're not extending the time in a 14 to two blowout in the fourth inning where a guy's just like screwing around you're extending the most tense, like riveting moment of the game. This could be the last pitch of the game. I agree, Levi for commissioner, but it's tough to wholeheartedly agree when at the top right of my screen, uh, Andy's busy yeeting a cat and then the cat's like de-yeeting himself um, back on his lap. No, but seriously, I, I think that's a great idea. I don't know how you would make it so that it is universal for a situation whether it can end the game because uh, technically a pitch in a 14 to 2 game can be the final pitch of a game and you don't you want the pitch clock like cut in half for that sucker but like in a tense game I will say that some of the complaints about oh we're going to lose that uh, you know the Bryce Harper Suarez matchup we're going to lose that tension 
Baseball inherently has that tension baked in in a way that other sports don't, and you are not going to get rid of it fully. Where you have the pitcher waiting, there's built-up tension, and then there's a release when he throws it uh, to the plate, and that's never going away. If it's 10 seconds to 20 seconds, 30 seconds, you don't have that in other sports other than, like, golf, which sucks. So, like, you, you know, you, you have, I guess, the free-throw line in basketball, but that's not exciting. Baseball's like this one sport where you have potential energy and then actualized energy and it's not going to wait just because you're lopping off 10 seconds. So I, I'm less sympathetic to that as well. But I like Levi's idea. I like Levi's idea. That's a, I don't know. I could get behind that. I think you should just, as a pitcher, make it your beeswax to deliver the pitch on time. <laughs> you should. But Andy, also, like you and I are in a position where we watch like literally hundreds of games a year. But imagine the casual fan like watching a baseball game. It's the ninth inning. It's his favorite team. It's the freaking ALCS and it ends, it would be like that, like when the All-Star game ended in a tie and all the writers were like, eh, it doesn't matter anyway. But all the fans were just absolutely apoplectic because like you can't end a freaking All-Star game in a tie. That would be the difference here. Like if a game ends on a walk-off pitch, fans are going to lose their freaking minds. Well, yeah, they should lose it at the pitcher for not following the rules. No, they won't. Well, then that's, I, I can't control what the public thinks. I just don't, like, I, okay, so, like, we should unplug the clock in basketball so they can get off a good shot, not a rushed one. Like, it, the thing exists for a reason. It's part of the sport now. It's the ideas that you are in the I will mental. say, they do turn off the clock in basketball during free throws. So. The shot clock. Well. Yeah. Anyway, I think if you're going to have a clock, use the clock and it should be something that you like follow and it rewards the people who are in shape, who are like equipped mentally to reset and make the adjustments necessary. Like I think, yeah, I just don't, I don't think it's necessary. Tell you what, if a playoff game ends on a walk-off clock violation, I think your rule should go into effect. But since that will never happen, I think we'll be all right. I think it could happen. It would be very, very funny. But again, I am here for the chaos mostly. Uh, Levi, you mentioned that, you know, we all watch hundreds and hundreds of hours uh, of baseball a year. I don't think you read the description of who you're filling in for. We were expecting someone who didn't watch any baseball at all. Uh, so this is going to be some adjustment uh, for us. So can you like pretend to, to be like uh, Anthony Vol? Okay, so Grant is letting you in on a little backstory. I literally didn't know how to pronounce the shortstop's last name. I thought it, I, it read as Volp to me, but I, I discovered that it's Volpe. No offense to Anthony Volpe. That is, I think, the goofiest way you can pronounce that last name. And that's just a personal opinion. I mean, no offense. He's literally playing shortstop for the Yankees. He doesn't care, but... Have you guys ever been on live radio and you're going through a point and you're talking about a team and you get to a player's name and you realize you have never said this player's name out loud, it's only lived on baseball reference for you, and then you have to, on live radio, decide that it's Julio Urias or Julio Urias or, like, have you ever done that? Speaking of which, a uh, friend of the pod, Tyler Mail, uh, went five innings of one-run baseball for the Twins this week. <laughs> Tyler. Did you drop a Tyler Mail? No, remember that was the that's the guy who like we when we started this pod we're like we can't talk about that guy because we don't know how to pronounce his name. Yeah, it 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 is Molly, right? Yeah, it's Molly. No, it's Mally. Mally. According, okay, I just looked this up. Pronunciation rhymes with rally. Rat. Well, they like rally in the Midwest or rally for us coastal types. <laughs> 
Because I had it as Melee, so. I would have had it as Molly. Uh, Tyler M. Tyler M. Would you get him on the show? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It took me like breaking. Nobody knows where the Chiron reads. It took me about two years to get Kevin Gaussman right because I just kept saying Gaussman guy. Anyways. Do you guys ever like halfway it between the two? Like if you don't know if it's Gaussman or Gaussman, you're like Tyler Gaussman. And you yeah, got, Tyler guys, Gaussman. Kind of give it this halfway in between. I just refer to him. I refer to him exclusively as the gas man. There you go. <laughs> a tricky one that I had to learn. Uh, the Rangers last year drafted a young man with the last name of Rocker. And I am of the age that I remember watching Harold and Kumar go to uh, White Castle. It's not. It's Kumar. And really? apparently he gets a little like touchy about it. So it's Kumar Rocker. I did not. So if you guys ever had him on just... the show, now you know. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. As of this recording, there have been four games played. I think everyone's at four. Um, Yeah, uh, no, some teams are at five. We've got the Padres, Dodgers, a couple West teams with five. Four or five games have been played. You have some standings. Plant your flag on one of these four or five game results and make it the hill that you will die on. For example, if the Pirates are at two and two right now, if you wanted to plant your flag and say, this is a 500 team, I believe in this result, it's open. I don't think anyone's going to take that. But look at the standings and just give me a hot take based on four or five game results. Okay. They're not even in first place because the Twins are 4-0. I think the Guardians are going to be really good. 
Zach Mizell wrote a great story about them the other day. They really crystallized something that reminded me of the 2014-2015 Royals. They have a great brand of baseball. They do certain things that are very uh, idiosyncratic to their approach. Uh, specifically, like they put the ball in play. They like kind of don't chase pitches outside the zone. Uh, they have relievers. I'm going to kill my cat, actually, is what I'm going to do. Give me two seconds. No, no. They just give him a full Dude, share. You're out. That's all right. I'll jump into mine while Andy is committing cat aside. So my mine that I that I believe in, the Phillies are 0-4, and, and I believe that the Phillies will not win a single game for the entire year. They're going to go 0-162. and 162. No, no, no. My real one is, uh, and this is going to sound incredibly biased of me, but I, I think the Rangers, they're not going to be a 750 team, obviously. They're 3-1 and one right now. But I do think that with that uh, improved rotation, Fingers crossed they you know mostly stay healthy. They're not all going to stay healthy, but I think that the Rangers will end the season with a winning record. Their lineup, I think, is, you know, Nate Lowe hit 300 last year. Uh, they probably have enough prospects to make some additions at the deadline if they are in a position to make the playoffs. I'm not sure if I'm ready to say they're going to make the playoffs, but I think they are going to have a winning record for the first time since 2016. And then I also think the Rays are going to continue to be really good. So one hot take and one extremely tepid take i feel like if the rangers weren't playing in the west which has three other pretty good teams like i i think they could pretty like if they were in the central which is actually where they're located um like they could pretty i would say they're probably the second best they could be the second best team in that division right depending on how you feel about the twins i just think do you think the angels are going to make the playoffs this year I think I picked them to make the playoffs and then I just like thought of I, Bold. I don't know, possibly. Yeah. yeah, I know. I know. I like to get things. I mean, wrong. hey, they're three and one. Yeah, they did play the uh the A's, uh, A's yeah. for most of that. But I think that they have if things go right, which as we know about the Angels, they often do not, you can see a scenario where they get that last wild card spot. I think that that would require them to stay healthy. It would require someone in the East to stumble a little bit. I think I picked them to make the playoffs forgetting that I also thought the Mariners might be good. So um, I benefited from my own stupidity there. Because the more I think about the the Mariners, at least pitching-wise, I think are pretty solid. But, you know, the Angels have, like, the best player in the world and Mike Trout. Uh, That's a pretty good place to start obviously uh, i do think they did good things in the off season to you know fortify their depth it's just a matter of can they all stay healthy that was possibly going to be my take that the that the angels were going to make the postseason that this is uh this is finally the year for them but then i i did the same thing where i looked at the al west and i thought you know like i i too am predicting decent things for the mariners i really like a lot of what they got going on uh the astros are the astros uh the rangers look tough so i can't quite go there for the angels but i this is not my take but uh i will just offer that they won't be comically inept like i don't think you'll look back and go like oh there are those angels again i think they'll do a lot more good things than bad in uh, move to a direction where they could have some hope if they could keep Otani next year, which they won't. Their star third baseman did swing on a fan after game one. So. Whoopsie doodle. <laughs> An auspicious start to the season. Hold on real quick. My dog's being a... Uh, we need to ban pets from this podcast. Man, the Mariners are one in four. Uh, yeah, they played the Guardians for much of that. And they were they were all good games, it seemed like. But it was just uh, the Guardians. I, like, I think the Guardians are really good. 
I, I think they're going to pitch well as they often do, and their offense, uh, I think, might click in some ways that it hadn't in years past. Just as some of their younger players start to get a little more experienced, they have, like I said, they have a good brand. They don't strike out. Uh, they actually have a little bit more power this year with you know Zanino and and Josh Bell in the fold. Um, you know, Josh Naylor had a great start to the season they still have jose ramirez steven kwan you know never strikes out yeah there's a lot to there's a lot to like about what the guardians are doing okay grant hold on before you get to your actual take i'm looking at the standings here i want to know which one of these two things is the biggest farce we've got the mariners at one and four and we've got the reds at three and one which one of those is the biggest farce i'm gonna say that the reds are gonna be bad and the mariners are not so if you are asking me which one is a farce, I'm going to say, hey, poor Reds. Uh, you know, I don't want to besmirch their good name. Uh, at the same time, I'm looking at who is getting at bats for them right now. It is uh, Jason Vossler, uh, who has hit two home runs. Uh, I've watched Jason Vossler more than most uh, humans alive, and I, I don't necessarily buy his 1500 OPS. Uh, Kevin Newman, that's wild because the Pirates had a guy named Kevin Newman who played shortstop for them. Oh, it's the same Kevin Newman. And then you have uh, Will Myers is on the team now, apparently. Uh, listen, I don't want to besmirch their good name. They've got some good pitchers uh, of note. But no, I think Derek Law is their closer. That can't be right. Spencer Steer is their uh, is their third baseman. That's an uh, sort of evil sidekick of Spencer Strider. Like the Reds are my like field test for have I made it? Like when I can tell you every player on the Reds roster this year, I will know. Like ding, I did it. I have I'm a national writer now. They've got a TJ Friedel on their team. What do we know about TJ? Oh my gosh, he was actually pretty okay last year. I'm sorry, TJ. They've got an outfielder named uh, Stuart Fairchild, who seems like the sort of person who grant rummages for their vinyl at uh, flea markets. <laughs> I actually know Stuart Fairchild. He had a, a cup of coffee with the Giants last year. He had eight at-bats. I do know Stuart Fairchild and Jason Vossler and Derek Law. Like, I do have some of these old Giants. As long as they're Giants, I know, I know these guys. But uh, Sorry, I was thinking of Fairport Convention, who's actually catching for... I have Legion Leaf. I can go get you Legion Leaf right now. <laughs> I believe that. That's a, that's a fantastic <laughs> record. That's a good album. Richard, Linda Thompson, they can do no wrong in my book. Linda Thompson's pitching the eighth. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. All right. Um, my take, I guess, if if I'm going to plant my flag on uh, something, it's that the Brewers are good. Uh, I think the Brewers have been slept on a little bit in this offseason because uh, the Cardinals have a lot of splashier names. Uh, the Brewers really haven't uh, seized that brass ring when it comes to getting their window of contention a little bit wider, broader. Um, but I think they're going to be pretty okay. I really like Garrett Mitchell. I think Garrett Mitchell is uh, going to be a fan favorite there. I like a lot of what they're doing, but the pitching, the pitching is good. The pitching is uh, Woodruff and Burns and Peralta and, and the bullpen isn't quite what it was. It, maybe not even close um, without Josh Hader, and, and, uh, but you've got Devin Williams. They seem to have a, a knack of finding good arms. So 
I will plant my flag on the Brewers hanging around in the Central for the entire year, give or take. I don't know if they'll win the division. I don't know if they'll be one of the six teams that makes the postseason. But I, I feel like I personally have slept on the Brewers a little bit too much in that they are a much better baseball team than they get credit for uh, a lot of the time. I guess the issue with the Brewers is that if you're doing the calculus for what they're going to do this year, you have to bake in whatever percentage chance that Corbin Burns and Willie Adamas and potentially Brandon Woodruff are not on the team in August. And that is going to be, I think, very interesting. Obviously, there are a lot of executives around the sport, uh, maybe some who go to work every day at Chavez Ravine, who are very interested to see what the Brewers end up doing this season and to see if someone like Burns might be available at the deadline. If those guys are healthy and performing, that's a team that should be, you know, around the 85 to 90 win mark. I think it's just if they're three games behind the Cardinals and they're in the back of the wild card pack and someone makes them a godfather offer for Corbin Burns, are they going to say no? There might be the year. This might be the year for them. Real quick, because I have to get this story out. In 2019, my daughter's fifth grade teacher came up to me and she says, your daughter says that you're a baseball writer? And I said, yes, yes. She says, one of my best friends, I went to St. Mary's with him, is Corbin Burns. And that was when his ERA was like eight. And I was one of the only people (laughs) on the planet who was like, I know exactly who Corbin Burns was. You know, I know know this guy. That's really neat. In my head, I'm thinking, too bad he sucks. Too bad... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Too bad this was it for him. Um, oh, but man. Corbin Burns was fine. Uh, just had to get. Does that. he have a teaching certificate? Maybe he can be working with you next. I, <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I just uh, I I loved that story because then the pandemic happened, and then all of a sudden Corbin Burns is like a pitching deity. So good on you, Corbin Burns and St. Mary's. All right, sorry. Go ahead. Who was talking? Did I interrupt someone to give that story? Not really. Not really. All right. No, I I, I like the Brewers. I just think they're uh, a fine team, uh, but. Are they going to lose all those guys in a like? Do they have to trade these guys? This uh, I'm trying to think of the the contracts. Burns isn't afraid. Like this is where they would be trading him a year early. Yeah, it's just a it's a it's about maximizing the value for both those guys, right? Uh, so Adamez is also a free agent after this year, and so you know it's just the rental prices aren't what they used to be. You can still get you know a decent amount for a three-month rental, but um, it's you, you just get a lot more for a year and a half of Corbin Burns, um, especially, you know, <clears throat> a year and a half of Corbin Burns for a team who maybe might try to extend him, uh, you know, once that uh, first year is over. So we shall see. One uh, idea that I hate is, I've seen it floated around a couple times, is that they would trade Christian Yelich, perhaps, in a package deal, rather than hunting for the top 10, 20 prospects that they can get, that they would just uh, dump Yelich in his, uh, what has he got left? He's got a a lot of money left. I hate that idea. At the same time, boy, that contract has not worked out for them. He's got $26 a year owed for the next five years, which is uh, probably not what he would get on the open market these days. Yeah, I, I bet the under on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not even that Yelich has been necessarily like that bad of a player over the past three seasons. I'm looking at it now. I mean, he's like uh, he's like a 110, yeah, 107 OPS plus over the past three years since 2020, right? Like that's okay. That's a big leaguer, 
right? Like you can you can live with that guy batting seventh or eighth for you and playing a decent corner outfield, but they're paying him to be a superstar and he's just not performing. And you see kind of how uh, when teams choose to sort of limit their spending, right, and they decide like we're going to have maybe one guy who we pay like this, you have to get it right. And the Brewers just did not with Yelich. It's just it's just um, swing just does not function the way it did. Uh, you could argue maybe because he hits so many ground balls, he might benefit from the shift going away. But he was never he was not considered a player who was like he 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 became a star because he was hitting it in the air. So there, it's not like uh, you know like an Eric Hosmer situation, Bell, uh, where you know he had always been hitting hard ground balls, and it all of a sudden those got getting scooped up. Like uh, it's more that he stopped hitting home runs and started hitting it six threes. Yeah, that's a good point where it's, it reminds me of the A's when they had to choose between Eric Chavez and Miguel Tejada and they chose Eric Chavez and that didn't work out. You got to get it right because that is your guy. You're going to extend this guy. And at the time, who disagreed with that deal? Like Yelich was 27. He was coming off a second place MVP finish the year after he won the MVP. That deal made all the sense in the world. Of course you're going to lock that guy up. That is, he's one of the more inexplicable just poofs that I can remember in recent memory. I disagree with it, uh, I recall, but it was just because of the timing. They didn't have to do it. Um, he wasn't like, he. they still had a couple years of free agency. But that's a more like... Um, big market style of thinking where it's like, let him go to the market and we'll re-sign him if he's still a good player. Whereas I think, you know, teams who spend less look at it as like, we'll never get him if he goes to the market. So we got to, if we want to keep him, this is what it costs. I'm just over here uh, pondering the uh, unavoidable ravages of time and realizing that it's been four years since the Yelly versus Belly MVP commercial. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. That's not that long in real years, but, you know, it's not, not going super well for either one of those guys. That is wild. I, have, I haven't checked in on uh, Belly and how he's doing this year. Let me uh, go. And uh, 067. Okay. Yeah. It's kind of what you'd expect. Yeah. All right. Well. It's, uh, it's, a, it's yeah. It's weird. Bellinger, his swing always had a lot of parts to it, and it, it was never – you never looked at it and you're like, oh, yeah, that's Tony Gwynn. You know, it, it, there was always a lot going on, but when it synced up, he was so good. Even in 2018, when he wasn't particularly good, he was still good enough to be like a five-win player because uh, his defense is so outstanding, but he just – the swing just does not appear to function. Probably going to get a cry on for this one because uh, this is also a hot take. But bring back steroids, IMO. Like, we would still have Yelly and Belly. <laughs> like, I think this is a hot take that I'm uh, formulating on the spot. So tell me if I'm wrong. But I feel like there are going to be these younger players who have this max effort swing and the sellout kind of uh, mechanics that they're going to pop things that we're not used to. And whether it's Tatis or whether it's Bellinger, and you're going to get players who are fading younger because they are just swinging so violently compared to what they used to. I don't know. I'm making this up. That style of player is going to be like the running back of baseball now. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I Listen, I, I don't have a real job, so don't take what I'm saying as gospel. I just, I wonder if you have, if you're going to have more Cody Bellingers in the future, just because the mechanics of how to hit a ball very hard and very far uh, are these days. 
I don't know if it'll be injury based so much as pitching is so advanced now. Hitting is like harder than it's ever been, it seems like, because the pitching is just so far ahead. And so if you have holes or if you don't have a way to sort of get back to normal, which is, you know, and like old, like veteran hitters will tell you like they used to do that by going the other way or like trying to take a walk or just ways to reset themselves in the source of a slump. If you don't have that kind of fallback that you can, you know, that is built in that can get you right, you're just going to get punished like again and again and again. And so you see, you know, someone like a, a Bellinger, someone like a Joey Gallo, who the swing is, you know, so much you know, there's so much swing and miss in it that when it starts going sideways and when pitching is so good, they're just going to get exploited. Leading the league in home runs right now, by the way, Joey. Gallo. That makes sense. Also, though, like to your point, I think <laughs> I think the game may have already sort of addressed this, right? Because you started to get the shift that was getting absurd, and really the the response to that was like, "All right, well, hit it over them as often as possible." When you don't, well, you know, you were going to get out anyway, so it might as well be a strikeout. Now they've banned the shift. I think you're going to start to see the game adjust and really start to value the Tony Gwynn type hitter again. Whereas before, like it wasn't a big deal. So, you know, for the last 15 years, it's been increasingly more and more like if you're a big dude that can hit the ball far, just freaking hit bombs. That's your, that's the best way to, to beat the shift is to hit it over it. And we'll start to see the game kind of come back now and adjust to these new rules, I think. Yeah. So you might see like thousand OPS Corey Seager again. Um, for example. And I will push back on two ideas. One is that uh, I never had a problem with the all-or-nothing slugger. I thought that they were very exciting. Like, I don't necessarily think that there's something more inherently exciting about Juan Pierre versus a Joey Gallo when Joey Gallo is going really well. Um, and you know that he's going to just uh, be swinging with both cheeks. And I think that's a very exciting player. At the same time, I love myself a good Juan Pierre. I love myself a good Jose Altuve when when he's uh, at his best. Uh, The balance of the two, I think, just bringing it back more in balance is what I would like to see. And I think that's going to happen with the shift, and especially with the the base running and all the stolen bases and the wackiness. Uh, Let's get some more Juan Pierres. Yeah. God bless Rob Manfred. (laughs) He's just just, uh, on a streak. I mean, they crushed it with the the clock's great. I get you know, put full circle. The clock. I was very wrong. I you know, very very wrong. Clock is. Incredible. You and Britt Giroli both being Rob Manfred uh, cheerleaders this week. I never expected to see both of those in the same day. But her her article today was very much like this is Rob Manfred's shining moment, and and you guys are right. She wrote that. Wow, that's okay. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, it's it's like. You know, transformative is a bit overstating it, but like, I think it's really going to benefit what the product's supposed to be. And uh, we'll see, you know, it could be in like May, you know, no one cares about baseball or whatever. And everyone's just talking about the NFL draft again. But it seems like it, the, the early returns are pretty strong. I agree. And that's a good place to end it. This is uh, episode 43 of the Athletic Baseball Show's Roundtable. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. We're doing our weekly thing now. Uh, Mark will be back from where's he vacationing? Uh, do, did we guess? Do, do you know where he's vacationing? Banff. I know. I oh, know okay. the so let me yeah. guess. Uh, no, you can't guess. Banff. Banff is good. Banff, Banff is good. Uh, I'm gonna go Orlando. He seems like a Disney World kind of guy. Am I right? That is that is correct. Holy yeah, God. he is. He drove down to Orlando. Yeah, with the family. 
I feel like I should win something. Like he should bring me back like a $13 churro. Yeah, you, you win a chance to talk baseball with him next week as he pretends to have paid attention over the past month. <laughs> with prizes like that, who can say no? All right, we'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. We will see you then. I was very wrong. Hey, baseball fans, this is Derek Van Riper. Now that spring training games are underway, opening day is just a few weeks away. Eno Saris and I have been getting ready for the season all winter on Rates and Barrels. Whether you're a seasoned fantasy player, a baseball stats junkie, or just someone who wants to learn more about the game, join us for four episodes each week this season, including our new Friday live stream with former big leaguer Trevor May. Check out the live stream on Fridays at 1 o'clock Eastern on the Rates and Barrels YouTube channel, or listen to the show wherever you enjoy your podcasts, including the ad-free option on the Athletic app.